0: Sometimes when I'm preaching, I don't sing during the worship so that I save my voice for preaching, but I couldn't help myself today. (laughs) You just had to, yeah, you just sort of had to just get it all out there. So that's great. God is good. Today's a little bit different. Um, Most people know me, but not everyone. My name is Valerie Kinsman. Uh, My husband is Doug, and Gwen was our guest piano player today. She normally attends experience and in defiance, but she uh, is willing to help us out for a season. And uh, so I'm thankful for having her today with me. That's unusual for, I don't know if she's even ever heard me preach. Yeah, she's like, no, not since she was an adult. In, in children's church, she heard me every week, but that's been a long time ago. <laughs> uh, about a month ago or so, um, Isaac was up here. And he was teaching, and somewhere in the middle of one of his messages, he talked about things being caught rather than taught. And it triggered something in me that we probably need to do both. We need to have things caught and taught in the church. And so today our title is Caught and Taught, Following Jesus in Making Disciples. So today we're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and three categories. We're going to talk about discipling ourselves, discipling others, and discipling children. And I'm going to have a lot of scriptures, but I'm going to move through them really quick like I normally do. And today I'm probably going to show you something that's in your Bibles And you may not have connected the dots to see how much of it is there, but the message that Jesus was preaching was about the kingdom of God and not necessarily salvation. And I know that might seem odd to you because salvation has been our central theme, but when we look at the word, we're going to find that salvation was wrapped up in the message of the kingdom of God. So let's pray and then we'll get started. Holy Spirit, I'm just so thankful that you're here to lead us and guide us, and you hear our inner thoughts, you hear our our inner questions. And Father, I pray today that your word seeps into each of us, into our hearts, our spirit, our minds, that you help us, Father, to be all that you want us to be, that you help us to grow to be like Jesus And I pray today that as we look at your word, that you write on our hearts what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first scripture today is out of Matthew chapter 4. And I thought since we're talking about disciples, we should probably look at the very first occasion where Jesus called disciples to himself. That makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, so we're in John chapter 4. And it says, now, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. And this is the prophet who is talking about the message that Jesus is bringing, the light of the word of God. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was his message. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets he called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him and Jesus went all about Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people can we back up Jane to the slide before there we go He says, repent for the kingdom is a hand. And then he goes down to verse 19 and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The the men, the four brothers, the the brothers that followed Jesus, the message that they followed him for wasn't repent, you're sinners, you got to get right with God. The message they followed him for was the news of a kingdom. Okay. And so they came to Jesus to be Jesus' disciples to follow him because he spoke about a new kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. Now, when we in our traditional churches, we often hear verse 19 where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And we really focus on, I will make you fishers of men. Everybody get out there and fish for men and fish for men and fish for men. And we never stop to do the first part. We never stop to think about the fact that these guys followed him for almost three years, day in, day out, lived with him, heard every word he spoke almost, except in prayers. They followed him closely for three years, being his disciples before they were ever sent out to fish for men. Now, in my personal experience, I, in years past, have felt very inadequately prepared, prepared, inadequately prepared to fish for men because I hadn't followed Jesus long enough. I hadn't gotten enough word in me to renew my mind, to change who I was. I didn't have the boldness. I didn't have the courage. So following discipleship is so important for us to do what Jesus wants us to do. And the message that he brought us was the kingdom of God. Now we're going to go on to another scripture, John 3, 1 through 8. When I talked to you a minute ago about the idea of salvation, the concept of salvation and being born again, we have made that the primary message of our church in North America. And that's a wonderful message, and it's absolutely necessary. But what it does is that it basically cracks open the door of the kingdom of God. We take one step inside, and we think, okay, I'm fine until I get to heaven. I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to know anything else. I'm saved. And it sort of gives us the idea that our prayer, our confession of Christ is sort of like a get-out-of-hell-free pass, you know, like when you play Monopoly and you get at a jail card you know, you get, get this free card, you can get out of jail. And that's sort of how we've been treating the idea of salvation, that it gets us out of hell, okay? But we're not playing a game, are we? So when we look at this verses here, let's read these. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you can hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus was conveying this is a spiritual thing. It's not something you can see with your eyes. It's something that you experience in your heart. It's invisible, but yet you know it's real, deep on the inside of you. But this conversation about being born again, about being born of the spirit, it's connected to the message that Jesus came preaching, the kingdom of God. The main reason that we get born again is so we can participate in God's kingdom. And so we need to understand where Jesus was headed with this so that we don't get left out. I don't know about you, but if I, if I think somebody's got something that I don't have, I'm sort of like, I want some of that. And that's how we should be. We should be hungry for the things of God. Let's look at our next scripture. This is Luke chapter 4. Now, if, if this is a new concept to you, that this was Jesus' message, I want you to take a look at this for a second. Now, when it was day, Jesus departed, and he went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him, and they came to him. They tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Jesus clearly said his purpose was to tell us about the kingdom of God, not only salvation, but to expand this idea that there's a whole kingdom that he is going to be king over. And that's what he was sharing with the disciples. Now, in Acts chapter 1, we're going to turn there real quick. And this is introduction to where we're going to get for discipleship. In Acts chapter 1, does everybody know who wrote Acts? This was Luke, the, the physician that was an assistant to Paul. And, and Luke writes, he says, "...this former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they came together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, hallelujah, who was taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back, folks. Okay, Jesus is coming back, and he's coming for a bride. He's coming for a people who understand his kingdom. The, the, the disciples, they said, is this, this a time when you're going to restore the kingdom? See, they were hearing this kingdom message, the kingdom of God, and they thought it was literally going to come and Jesus is going to rule and reign on earth there in Jerusalem, which Jesus had bigger plans than that. His kingdom is over the whole earth because it's within us. But in the beginning of this chapter, it said those 40 days that Jesus was with them after his resurrection, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. His message wasn't salvation. His message was I want you to understand the things about my kingdom. And so as we're talking about being disciples, these are the things that we need to be hunting for. You know, Jesus said in in, uh, Matthew, I think it's chapter 6, he said, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything that you ever will need will be added unto you. That was his concurrent message over and over and over again. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, we're going to look here. And we call this the great commission, right? This is what we call as a commission. That Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. And, oh, did we miss a verse here? That's what I thought. We missed verse 19 the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, back up to 19, please, hon. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's important. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, making disciples and Teaching people to observe. How many of you, when we talk about discipleship and teaching, how many of you get this internal, oh, groan, this is going to be a drag. This is going to be dry. This is not going to be fun. We're going to go be in Sunday school, and we're going to hear dry word. And do you guys ever feel that way? Sort of like, this is a drag. Not when I teach, but some, (laughs) okay, for some people, that is the inner groan, that they're like, seriously, okay, but we don't have to have it be that way. I'm going to tell you a secret, and I'm not going to lie to you. There are side effects to discipleship. There are. You might sit a little taller in your chair. You might lift your chin a little higher. You might even smile once in a while. You might burst out singing. You might share some victory that God gave you with a friend. So there are serious side effects to discipleship, but they're all good. They're going to make you be proud of being God's child and not feel like you have to hide. You're going to be bold. When you get discipleship the right way with the Spirit of God on it, you're gonna be so excited because you just found a little bit more about your identity, who you are in God, and who you are in the kingdom of God. And you know, the world beats us up as Christians, and they're constantly scraping across our soul, trying to take our identity away of who we are in God. It, they tell you, you're not enough, you're a failure. You can't do it. And there's all this negative energy that comes at us when we're in the world every day. But God's word, when we get into discipleship and we start finding what God says about us, he says, you're kings and priests. He says, you're chosen. You're holy. You're a royal nation. He restores your soul. He calls you to stand tall as a king and a priest, the priest, the holy priesthood, the royal priesthood in God's kingdom. He calls you to be this person. So in discipleship, we learn this identity. We wash away the junk that the world tries to scrape us and just destroy us. and, And God has different plans. So we're going to talk about discipling ourselves first. I don't know about you. I was raised heathen. I'm not proud of that. I had a deep lack of spiritual understanding in my background. I came to know the Lord at the age of 15, floundered around for a year or so. I didn't even have a Bible. I met Mr. Kinsman, my husband, and he gave me a Bible. I was so hungry for the Word of God. On the night I was saved, there was a definite change in my spirit, and I said to the young man that was in our group, That night, And I said, I feel like a stone, a hard stone was taken out of my my chest. And a soft heart was put in it. And I had an experience, an encounter with God who changed me that night. And I went for almost a whole year living with a heathen family who didn't know the word of God, who told me, oh, it's just an emotional experience. It wasn't real. It'll fade away. Don't worry about it. And I kept thinking... The longer I went, I'm like, God, what happened? Doug and I started dating, and he bought me a Bible. And nobody told me where to start reading in my Bible. I opened it to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is prophetic. It's strange. It's weird. (laughs) And it's really hard to make sense of. But... In chapter 37, God says, I will take out of you a heart of stone and I will put a soft heart in you and I will put my spirit upon you. Three days after getting my Bible, I found those passages and I knew he was real. He met me in Ezekiel of all places. (laughs) So, I had to start discipling myself. And that's a hard thing to do when nobody's teaching you. some warm tea here. So as I've been studying and looking at coming into the kingdom, I was looking at some surveys, and these surveys were telling me, in the earth today... There are basically four categories that people fall into. There are people who don't believe God exists whatsoever. And if you tell them you believe in God, they get a little mad at you, they argue with you, they call you delusional, you're an idiot, I can't stand to be around you, get away from me. That's that's category one. (laughs) Category two, there are people who think God might exist But their image of God is, he's far away and he has no interest in what I'm doing. Very detached God. And then there is category three. And these people have a mean God. They have a God who's just waiting to whack you on the head every time you make a mistake. And then there's category number four. These are people who believe God is real and that he loves them and he's interested in them and he wants to bless them. Now, we probably all come from a mix of that somewhere in our backgrounds. Our point of view of God, somewhere inside of us, there might be some things that aren't accurate, right? There might be some things passed down to us from family members or people that we were associated with, you know, like this phrase, God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible. But that's theology about God. If you want God to help you, get up and pull yourself up and get going. That's not accurate, and it's not true. God loves you, and he'll help you no matter where you're at. So until we take our images and concepts of God that we bring with us into the kingdom of God until we begin to examine them, we probably have some falsehoods that are floating around that we're operating under. And we have to take these things that have been caught from other people or maybe even religiously taught that God is mean and ready to punish you. We have to examine those things against the word of God to see if they're true. To see if did Jesus say that? Is this something Jesus would have said? So in discipling ourselves, the first thing we need to ask is do we have a biblical worldview? So I need four youth to come up. I need I need helpers. No, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I need four right now. All you got. All you got to do is hold a piece of paper. I need one more. Oh, good. Great. Okay. I like that these guys are all tall. Okay. Um, I'm gonna switch these two. Thank you. All right. Now. <laughs> When we talk about having a biblical worldview, can you guys sort of show these people over here too? The first thing, the first pillar, there's four pillars in having a biblical worldview. Do you see how tall these are? They look like pillars, don't they? They're just like big and strong. Okay. So the first pillar in having a biblical worldview is this one, that the Bible is the inspired word of God. This is the first decision that we have to decide that we own. I own this personally. The second decision is that the Bible applies to our everyday life. That's the second decision you have to own. That the word of God, you need it every day. The third decision we need to know is that the Old and the New Testaments are connected to reveal God's love. They're connected. You can't look at them separately. The old shadows the new of what God is going to do. So we can't divide half of the Bible away. We got to have all of it. And the fourth one is the application. The desire to obey and live God's word is essential to becoming disciples. So that's a big decision. In our head, we might say, yeah, the word of God, that's the Bible. Yeah, I believe that. But this last one, I am going to cultivate a desire to obey and live it. That goes against our flesh. And so, we have to make that big decision that we want pillar number four in our life so that we have a total biblical worldview as a Christian. So, the first one, the Bible is the inspired word of God. Thank you, pillar man number one. Number two, the Bible applies to our life every day. Thank you, pillar man number two. The Old and New Testaments are connected to reveal God's love. Thank you, Pillar Man number three. The desire to obey and live God's word is essential to becoming disciples. Thank you, Pillar Man number four. You can lay those on the stage behind you. Give them a hand. I thought maybe you'd remember those more if they were up here than me just telling you about them. So... If we know these are our four pillars, then how do we cultivate God's word in our life? How do we we renew our mind to have a biblical worldview? So the first thing I'm gonna tell you is that we're going to look for God in our everyday life. And what I mean by this is, if you're walking with your kids and you're outside and you see a leaf, look at the veining in the leaf and look how intricate God made that plant. Everywhere around you, there is evidence of God at work. Look for it. Look for God working in your life. This is one of the first ways that you begin to disciple yourself yourself, because you have decided to look for God. You've decided to seek him and his kingdom. Now, Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6, is, is, this is a really key verse, and I know it's Old Testament, But I love it. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Now, people learn differently. And this verse is talking about teaching one another and sharing God's word with one another. But we all learn differently. Some people have to do it to catch it. Some people have to see it. Some people have to hear. There's different ways of of learning. And when I was teaching kids, there was a book that I loved. It was called Watchers, Talkers, and Doers. Watchers, Talkers, and Doers. Watchers, Talkers, and Doers. This is how people learn. I mean, there's much more to it. But boiling it all down, we have different ways of learning. So when we are with our kids, our friends, We can be learning different things different ways. I'm teacher motivated, so I'm I'm like, okay, I'm verbally. But not everybody's like me, and they're going to lead you to Jesus by doing something with you. They're going to lead you to Jesus by having you come over for coffee and just talk about your day and encourage you. There's different ways of discipling ourselves. There's different ways of discipling other people. So number one, let's look for God in our everyday life. Those are easy things like when you're out walking with your family, when you're getting ready for bed. Doug and I used to pray over our kids a blessing every night at bedtime. We incorporated God into our daily routine. So now I'm going to need another set of helpers. I need three helpers. Do I have new ones or do I have old ones? Do I need to bring my pillars up? Pillars of God, all right, okay. So you divide these up, so for each, we're going to get them out to each section. Can I get one myself, might help, okay. What I'm passing out to you, our, our second way of discipling ourselves, go ahead, pass these out to everybody. I, I've got like 50 of them. I don't know how many people are here, but um, the second way that we disciple ourselves is deliberately studying God's word. Now, for me, I'm a topical study person. You know, I can read God's word, but if I really want to understand stand something, I like to go topically. Topically. And for years, I have had uh, Thompson chain study Bibles. So if you have one topic and there's a mention of it at the beginning of the Bible, it'll chain that that topic all the way through to the end. So you can find out every mention on that topic. So I've I've had two of these. This is my second one. I broke out the spine and had to put duct tape on it. Um, But it has really been a great tool. Now, not everybody here... Likes to study. I know that. So I'm giving you a cheat sheet. What this sheet is, is years ago when I was involved involved in schools of ministry, uh, one of our assignments for our our people who were enrolled was they needed to do a paragraph on what they believe about God. The next week they needed to do a paragraph on who Jesus is to them. The next week, who the Holy Spirit is. So there were these topics that I I assigned to them, and I asked for essays to be turned in at least five sentences long. And so what you've got are scriptures by topic that you could look up. And I would really strongly encourage you each, get together with some friends, have a potluck, do something, but... Once a month or once a week, take a few minutes, look up some of these scriptures and write out five sentences what I believe about God. Because if you got those five sentences and you want to share with somebody about God, you're ready. And the next time, write about Jesus. Five sentences that you know in your heart that you can share with someone. Five sentences. Get it down to where you are discipling yourself And you can effectively communicate God's Word. And you know it's based on God's Word because you found it in the Scriptures. And it's not something that great-aunt Tilda told you, and she was a bitter old lady that never looked for God. We look for God, and we find He's good. When you look for God, you find He loves you. Okay? So this is a cheat sheet on how to disciple ourselves. And so... Again, there's side effects, I'm warning you. There's going to be side effects if, if you start finding out that God loves you and gives you your identity of who you are in the kingdom of God. It's going to change you. So just be prepared because it will happen. That's how God's word works. It's got life in it. It's got life in it. So as we're preparing to study... There's two things I want us to be aware of, and the first is this scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As we're looking at God's word, the Holy Spirit, it says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And these are the things that we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So, When you get ready to do these assignments, invite the Holy Spirit, because he's going to teach you stuff. He's going to dig things out of the word that you didn't see before, and you're going to be like, whoa, revelation. So the first thing is, expect revelation. Second thing, we're going to look at Ezra real quick, Ezra chapter 7. Ezra was an Old Testament teacher, but this principle is just priceless. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach its statues and ordinances in Israel. Now, Ezra was a teacher at heart and everybody has a different gift, a different calling here in our body. One of my callings is that of a teacher is there anybody else here who think they may have the calling of a teacher? Okay? A couple of you. OK. God uses teachers to help us get back on track on God's word, to keep us accurate. And so I once saw um, a survey of the different gifts in the body of Christ, and only six or seven percent of us are teachers. God doesn't need a lot of loud mouths. (laughs) We're pretty effective as is. We need more mercy people, which is like 30%, and more server people, which is like 30%. He only needs a few teachers. But you guys, I pray that God unleashes an anointing on you to just accelerate the teaching anointing in you and your understanding and your revelation that you have impact on others like never before. I bless you, teachers, to just go on fire for God in Jesus' name. So our discipleship encourages us to change our worldview about our identity. We're going to look at uh, 1 Peter 2, chapter 9. Oh, didn't I read Ezra? I thought I did. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord to do it and to teach. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is what God says about us. This is our identity. As we're being discipled, we gain new identity. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous night, light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now you have. You have a new identity. And for sake of time, I'm gonna skip the next one, Jane. This is Romans 12 that we're skipping. And this talks about, I beseech you, brothers, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. When you're the royal priesthood, the sacrifice that you offer God is yourself. You offer your life. And in Romans 12, he talks about there's teachers, there's encouragers, there's givers, there's servers, there's mercy-motivated people. And so what that says is every one of us, whatever gift we have, that's what we're offering back to God. That helps shape our identity when we begin to realize who we are. We step into our calling as the royal priesthood when we release our gifts. Now we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 13. We're going to talk about discipling others. And this same saying applies to us as, as discipling others. And you've seen this passage before. This is the parable of the sower. But sometimes we skip some things in the middle. And I want us to catch this. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him. So he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying... Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and some, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not find, did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. He answered and he said, oh, I think we missed something. Let's back up. Yeah. When the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root and they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some one hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Here's the part we need to pay attention to. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and they said, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and he said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has knowledge of these mysteries, to him more will be given and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now, this understanding is important. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they've closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. He says here, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown on his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who receives seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some 100 fold, some 60 and some 30. This is a parable of the sower. What we see is is that how we hear is really important. Jesus said in the middle between first telling and then explaining, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention. Try hard to understand this because if we don't understand it, the enemy comes and he steals it from us. So we have to just really dig in. We've got to make an effort to understand the kingdom of God. Now many years ago it's probably been I don't know almost 30 I heard someone preach about Matthew 24:14 and he said and this is what this verse says we'll jump to Matthew 24:14 and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come what is the end times message? Before the end comes, before Jesus comes back, what is the end times message? The gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a buried treasure. A man goes out and he's digging in his field and he finds this treasure. It's not really his field, it's somebody else's field, that he's digging and he finds it. And he covers it back up, and he goes to the guy and he says, I want to buy your field. I'll pay you extra, above and beyond. And he goes and he buys that field because it's got treasure. And 30 years ago, when I saw Matthew 24, 14, I realized I have no idea what the gospel of the kingdom is. I haven't got a clue. How about you? Doug, would you bring that box up, please? So I spent years digging for treasure in the field, digging for treasure in God's Word. And God commissioned me to write books. So this is one of the products of my digging, and these are free. If anybody wants them right now, just raise your hand. This is the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Doug, would you help me by passing stuff out here? And you guys, Mr. Pillars of whatever. If anybody wants a mysteries of the kingdom of God, it's a jump start. It's a jump start. It'll get you going. It'll help you to understand what Jesus was trying to convey to us. And this is is, is what my gift does. It digs and it brings out the treasure. So it's easier for people who don't like to dig. You'd have a different gift, and that's okay. So these are free to anybody and everybody that wants one. And if you want one to give a friend, take take an extra one. I don't care. They're doing no good staying in my closet, right? So just pass them out and get them going. So in, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 51 and 52, Jesus was saying, He he, he told all these parables to the disciples, told all these different parables about the the pearl of great price and the buried treasure and all these things. And in verses 51 and 52, after he told all these parables, he asked them a question. He says, have you understood all these things? They replied, yes. And he said, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new as well as old. So as you become a disciple in the kingdom of God, understanding the principles of the kingdom of God, you know, a householder is a wealthy person. They own a a house, they own an estate, and according to Jesus, they have a treasure room. So they're pretty wealthy. So you become a spiritual householder, a spiritual wealthy person when you dig in to the kingdom of God. And, you know, we, again, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to write on our hearts. Have you heard this verse that talks about how in the Old Testament, God wrote on tablets of stone? But in the New Testament, he writes on our hearts. Have you ever seen sidewalk chalk? Graffiti on a sidewalk. That's sort of what God's doing with the Holy Spirit. He's like putting graffiti on our heart about his word, about his kingdom. And the more we, we press in and the more we ask him to help us understand, the Holy Spirit writes this on our heart so that we can become the disciples that he wants us to be. So we're going to do change gears here quick. We only got a couple of minutes left. We're going to talk about discipling children Many of us have children, grandchildren, even nieces or nephews. And so in Matthew chapter 18, well, let's back up. Jane, I'm going to go to Genesis 18 just for a second. One of the reasons that God chooses us as his children and and his disciples is because in verse 19 it says, For I have known Abraham in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And that was blessings upon blessings. So if we want our families to experience the blessings of God, then we need to be like Abraham and make sure that we're discipling our children, no matter how old they are, that we're pressing into God's word and teaching them the value of God's word. Now, How do we create a Christ-centered home for our kids, or our grandkids? How do we create this? First thing is, is we adopt these four pillars of our worldview. We adopt the fact that God's word is the unerring word of God. We adopt those four pillars. And we make an effort to translate that to our children. Now, children, let's go to Matthew uh, 18 then. Children, no matter how old they are, because the new birth is a spiritual thing and the Holy Spirit is involved in this, it doesn't matter how old a child is. As long as the Spirit's talking to their spirit, they can get born again. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. And said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was drowned in the depths of the sea. And in Matthew 18, 14, Jesus said, Even so, it's not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now, the terminology little ones is toddler, two- and three-year-olds. Jesus is saying the little ones can understand spiritual things. He's saying the little ones can be born again can receive salvation. And so it's our job as a parent, or if we have nieces or nephews and teenagers, older teenagers, almost adult people, do you know that a sixth grader thinks you're ultimately cool? And you can influence nieces and nephews and neighbors because they think you're the best thing that ever rocked. Be a good example. Share with them your faith because you have influence over the younger people, okay? You guys can be great witnesses and disciplers. So the first thing is, is that we decide that we are going to choose God's word as a pillar. Now, being a children's pastor for almost 20 years, I was greatly familiar with, with object lesson books. And this one is object talks for ages six to 12 from kids, it's, it's about sports. Would anyone like to have this book? I'm gonna give it away. This is for any parent who wants some devotions using sports as the theme or the analogy. Okay, who, right here? Okay, yep, don't be bashful. Okay, this is for the nerds. 77 science illustrations. Anybody here? Okay, back here. You know, you can give it to kids, grandkids, pass them out. This is to help you get started with devotions at home. You know, pick an object lesson. You've all got sports equipment laying around and the science experiments are mostly from your kitchen. 100 lessons from everyday life this is just broken fingernails frying pans This says a hammer how is a balloon different from a rock anybody want to pass one out I used to use these when I was developing children's church lessons and there's there's nothing like having some objects come up front and the kids are like oh what's that why do you have a balloon and why do you have a rock It works for adults too. (laughs) Okay. A believer, a beginner's Bible. It's short versions introducing God's key characters. Does anybody need one to pass on to a young family? Okay. This is great with the two year olds, the three year olds. The stories are like one page, which is about what their attention span is. And then this one is Instant Bible Lessons for Toddlers. And these are coloring pages and short stories and activities. When anyone like to, and they're reproducible. Would anyone like to have this one? Okay. See, it's, it's, it's one thing for me to tell you that you ought to be making disciples, but if I don't give you what you need, I failed. That's how I look at it. I don't give you what you need, today was worthless. Okay, so that was part one of making a God-centered home, discipleship. Part two is teaching your kids how to worship. Now, Jesus told the woman at the well, you have no idea what you're worshiping. God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. So when we bring truth to our families. When God brings truth to me and I get a revelation, do you know what time it is? It's time for worship. It's worship time because God is looking for people who worship him in spirit, prompted by the Holy Spirit because of the truth that you have. So to get your children to connect with God, we have to teach them to worship. If we have a devotion If we have an opportunity where we're looking for God and we see him, take a minute and just have a prayer. Thank you, God, with your kids. Thank you for the beautiful bug that you made. Maybe sing a song. Teach them to connect their hearts to God as you're teaching them in worship. And Isaiah, we're going to go to Isaiah 59, please. This is one of my favorite verses. Because this is a covenant verse. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit, who is upon you and now within us, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. I pray this scripture over my kids, even though they're 40, and I have grandkids. I still claim this scripture for my kids, that the Holy Spirit that's on me, same Holy Spirit's going to be on them. The word of God that I have, I mean, your kids don't really appreciate you. you, you know, it's like a prophet is without honor in his own house kind of a thing. But I pray that the word that's in me is in them. And I ask God to do this. I ask God, that's one of the reasons I write books, because I can give them a book and say, here, read this. It's my legacy to my kids and my church and my family. I have family members who don't serve the Lord, but I give them books at Christmas. They all get it. Somewhere, some seed is going to take root, you know? That's what I'm believing on. And so... Our children can have the Holy Spirit. And we're going to, Acts 1, I'm sorry, let's back up to, I didn't give you Acts 2. Let me read Acts 2 to you. And this is what's spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The Holy Spirit on your children. See, God wants us to be a supernatural people. And it doesn't matter how old we are, we can be two and we can pray for people to be healed. Sometimes the faith of a child, because it knows no boundary, is so powerful. And they get results that it's amazing. So Jesus spent 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, I gave you these tenets of faith and doctrine, okay? Every one of those subjects is a topic of its own, but I'm going to tell you this. How many of you have ever put a jigsaw puzzle together? I don't know about you, but if it's like a 500 piece, I start catching the outside frame pieces first and put that all together and then sort of tuck it into that. All of these tenets of faith and doctrine are like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. And what do you hang them on? What do you you put them into? Well, that framework that you're looking for is the message of the kingdom of God. All of those topics are part of God's kingdom. None of them are of its own in itself, the topic. They're all part of God's kingdom. So the framework with these puzzle pieces that you're discipling yourself about, they all fit into the message about God's kingdom. And that's how they fit. That's how they plug in. The more you know about God, the more you know about the creator of the kingdom. The more you know about Jesus, the more you know about the king of the kingdom. The more you know about the Holy Ghost, the more you know about the power of the kingdom. So as you learn these things and you put those five sentences in your heart, then you're building your picture of the kingdom of God, that giant puzzle that, that we're putting together, that we're trying to understand. And so our last scripture for today is 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. And what we see here are four generations of disciples. And he says, You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard from me, that's the first generation, among many witnesses, you, that's the second generation, Commit to these faithful men, that's the third generation, who will be able to teach others also. Generation number four. You can pass a spiritual heritage down to generations. Whether it's blood, whether it's community, whether it's church, you have the opportunity to foster generations of disciples. And that's what today was about. I wanted to share with you the importance of it and to give you the tools on how to do it. So let's pray, and we will be dismissed. Father, I thank you for the power of your word to change our life. And I thank you that we will stand taller. We will lift our head higher. We will be more confident and bold as we disciple ourselves, Father. And so I pray blessings on these, my brothers and sisters. That your Holy Spirit is a fire in them, igniting them to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great weekend.